بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد We were going through the various different adab of the awliya Those people who are accomplished and who have attain some kind of accomplishment in their devotion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in the last session we discussed uh, some of their adab and their etiquette and how they behave with others. And we also discussed the difference between the warid al-Rabbani uh, or the khatir al-Nafsani and the khatir al-Shaytani. The khatir al-Nafsani was basically and it's very relevant to Ramadan. Shaitan wants us to do any sin. In Ramadan, generally that disappears. So you don't have the situation where you are going to probably end up in a new sin. Because people just don't do that kind. Uh, pe- people just don't do that kind of a thing in Ramadan. But what people still do in Ramadan is basically addiction sins, sins of addiction. That's because that's not coming from shaitan necessarily, it's coming from the nafs, it's a habit. Just like cigarette, the first time you, you first time most people <coughs> start off smoking, it's because of another shaitan. It's because somebody said that you should smoke or try one, uh, it's really nice, you need to fit in or don't be a chicken. So people start smoking because of that. After that, once they're hooked onto it, they don't need anybody to remind them. The nafs reminds them themselves. So that's the difference. So Ramadan is essentially for that purpose, is to get rid of that uh, attraction of the nafs, the habit, the habit of the nafs, the addiction of the nafs. Because Allah is telling us, stay away from food, drink and sexual intercourse for this many hours. In that time when you feel like having a drink, you're not allowed to have one. Right? Because you're going to tell yourself, I'm fasting, I can't have a drink. Drinking is permissible generally. So, <clears throat> what then happens is that we gain more control of ourselves so that we can actually gain more control then over haram things more easily. If we can control our eating and drinking, which are normally halal during these times, and we tell enough no, so that's basically the benefit of Ramadan that it gives us this 30 days of regimen in which we can get some control over ourselves. Now, then he talked about. Uh, right, so now the next point that he makes, uh, then the next. Akhlaq that he's speaking about is madhu adaihi. Now remember, all of this is to basically stay stress-free. You'll see that uh, both the uh, characteristics he mentioned last time, the behavior and the conduct he mentioned last time and this time, you'll notice that this will make you stress-free, right? And if you have stress-free, you can focus more on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because a lot of times stress is basically used by the shaitan to make us feel like I don't feel good enough to worship. I'm miserable, I need to chase after this or chase after that or be concerned or grieved about this or grieved about that. So that's why the next one is, he's saying that another one of their behaviors or practices is that they actually praise their enemies. And anybody with anything to offer is generally going to have somebody who's an enemy, right? Maybe somebody who's jealous maybe even, right? Shaitan just puts it into people's hearts to dislike somebody for the flimsiest of excuses and reasons. 
So what this person does, the accomplished person is, he praises his enemies. وَعَدَمُ التَّكَدُّرْ مِنْ ذِكْرِهِمْ he, he has no qualms, he, he feels no repulsion in mentioning his enemies nicely. Otherwise you don't even want to mention their name. I don't even want to take his name, that's how I hate him. That's what people say. She's so bad, I just don't even want to men don't even say her name in front of me. But no, these people, they have no problem with this because their, their, their highest motivation and focus is Allah. They don't care, this is all loose change, not even loose change for them. Because even loose change is valuable, eventually, right? So this is not even loose change. dua lahum bil And this is the most important, is that they make dua for them, for forgiveness and for divine enablement. Because if you curse somebody, you're only adding to the evil in the world. When you curse somebody, damn somebody, then you want them to be bad. You want them to be destroyed. That means you're going to have a dis destroyed person. He's probably going to have to get worse to be destroyed. Rather, if you make du'a for them, then you've got a better person now. You've got one more better person. The society improves. Society benefits. So, even logically speaking, it makes no sense. I always remember this incident with a friend of mine in America who was a sheikh. And we were at a program and his little kid, 11, 12-year-old, came along. And he's complaining about a friend of his who is bothering him. And he's saying bad things about him. So the... The, the, his father, the Shaykh, he said, you know what, instead of saying all of these bad things about him, make a dua for him that he gets better. Then it'll all be rosy then. It'll all be wonderful. You got less, one less person to irritate you. <clears throat> the next point he makes is a dua li usatil mu'minina kathalik. Which is to make dua for the disobedient believers likewise. Because again, if we make dua for others, not by condemning them, but rather to, to, we're not even maybe saying anything to them. We're just making dua for them, that oh Allah give them islah, give them reformation. Because the more better people they are, everybody benefits. Because the more dhikr that's taking place, the more practice that's taking place, the more mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descends. The next point he makes is, مُطَالَعَةُ كُتُبِ الْقَوْمِ لِيَتَعَلَّمْ مِنْهَا الْأَدَبِ They study the books of the qawm. So they study the books of the Qawm. They study the books of the Sufis, right? Of the good Sufis, they study their books. Why? Because there's a lot of adab that you can learn from there. That's what they study it for. Not to learn the terminology so they can use the terminology and then act like Sufis or something and try to impress people. They learn it because that's where you get the refined understanding of behavior. The refined understanding of how to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't get that in general books. For example, we've covered before in our sessions Ibn Ata'illah al-Iskandari's Kitab al-Hikam. Every wisdom in there that he provides is amazing. You can tell the depth of understanding of how he's figured out devotion and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants. When you read that, when you understand that, when we learn from that, it actually makes our worship even better. It's amazing. For example, we make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a lot of people who don't make dua. Now some people make dua, but then their dua is not being answered. According to them, their dua is not being answered. So they feel bad. So what he tells us is that the fact that you've even been able to raise your hands is a worship in its own. And that is already a reward of Allah. Because there's so many others who wouldn't even do that. So you see, can you see now how he puts value in just making the dua itself? That can only come from somebody with a lot of experience and accomplishment. In really understanding the way of ibadah, 
of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So then he says that وَيَعْرِفُ مِنْهَا حَالَ أَهْلِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى The other thing that you benefit from reading these kind of books and especially biographies of people of Allah as well like that, right? Is that you start to understand how the Ahlullah were, how the people of Allah used to live, how they used to interact and react in certain situations, what their behavior was. So for example, let's just take a simple example of Ramadan. There's a wonderful book that we have, which is called uh, the, the Ramadan of the Elders. Basically, Ramadan of our awliya. So in that, it tells you how they used to spend their Ramadan. Now, yes, maybe some of them were so much that we could probably never do as much as them, but at least we get an idea. At least we get inspiration. So that's what you get benefit. When we see people always doing less than us, then we think we're doing enough and more and sufficient. When we see people doing more than us, then we're encouraged to do more. This is just psychology, human psychology. So then he says, By learning these etiquettes of these people of how to interact in a godly way, you will then ascend to the status and to the level of the loved ones of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because these actions that they do, their behavior is like the loved ones of Allah. Who Allah loves, these are the people who Allah has loved. They've gone from this world and pretty much they've been accomplished, right? Because if there's anybody who was in a state, who looked like Ahlullah, but really wasn't, right? And who actually was trying to do something deceptive, Allah would probably, most likely, I mean, I don't think that kind of deception would remain. Allah would open up that deception. So if somebody has gone and people are praising them pretty much across the board, then you understand that these people must be Ahlullah. And however they are, if we try to emulate that and learn from it. Now remember, the reason why we need to read many, many books of many different individuals is because um, these individuals, and that's why we have the Sahaba. The benefit of the Sahaba is that I may read Umar but I may not be able to relate to his, uh, to his mizaj because his mizaj is different to mine. Although I think I'm quite more like Umar to be honest than Abu Bakr unfortunately or fortunately however you want to look at it, like, you'd rather be like both, the best, right? Because Abu Bakr is more soft-hearted, Umar is a bit more harder, right? So some people are harder. When they read Umar that's where they learn how to control that. Because Umar you know, he, he had to learn that control because he was willing to take off people's heads. You know, um, he gave that option so many times, but the Prophet used to always tell him no. When we read Abu Dharr, some people may be like Abu Dharr radiallahu an. Some people may be like Uthman radiallahu an. So that's why we have many Sahaba. If you just read one, you're not going to be able to, you may not be able to. Likewise, when women read Aisha radiallahu anha, they may be actually more like Hafsa or Ummu Habiba radiallahu anha. So when you read all of them, you might sometimes find what's according to your mizaj, that, that kind of personality, and then you'll benefit from that. So likewise with the Akabir, with our great scholars. So, for example, I find a lot of affinity with uh, Mawlana Shafali Tanwi, rahmatullahi alayhi. Right? Although all of our, uh, we benefit from all of them, but then you just suddenly some find a bit more affinity with uh, one of a scholar that you're reading. Because you think you, um, you know, have a similar mizaj in some aspects, a similar temperament in certain aspects. That's why you, you, you learn. And the benefit of reading about people is then you see how they put Islam in action, right? Whereas when you read just theory, it's beneficial, but then you have to implement that. But when you read about how somebody did it, then you actually understand now how somebody's doing it, right? Or how it's done rather. That's the benefit of reading good biographies of the people of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
Anshadana shaykhuna ma wahaballahu limri'in habhu ahsana min aqlihi wa adabihi huma hayatul fata fa'in udima fa'inna faqdal hayati ajmalu bihi Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not given anybody anything superior than his intelligence and his behavior. If he's got good behavior and good intelligence, you've basically got the greatest gifts of Allah. They are, they are the life of the young man. That's by which, that's the, if, if somebody has good intelligence and good character, good behavior, that is basically the life. That is what will uh, give that young person his life. If they do not exist, if somebody does not have good behavior and intelligence, then, and what he means by intelligence here doesn't have to be, it doesn't mean that you need to be the sharpest pencil in the box and get A's all the time. That's not necessarily what it means. Intelligence here means spiritual intelligence, that you understand what's right for you and you're sensible in your approach to things and you understand what is beneficial for you in the hereafter. Right? So he says, if these two are not present, then basically having no life is probably more befitting this person. That if you don't have them, it's not worth living. فَإِذَا جَاهَدْتَ النَّفْسَ بِمَا مَرَّ هَانَ عَلَيْهَا Now he's saying that, okay, oh, he's obviously telling us that these things are not easy to acquire, but he says that if you keep exerting yourself uh, with all of these things that we've mentioned, trying to accomplish all of these, acquire all of these, then eventually they will become easy for you, insha'Allah ta'ala, if Allah so wills. الْخُلُوسُ مِنْ ظُلْمَةِ الْأَغْيَارِ What will become easy for you? The following things. Number one, you will escape from the darknesses of other things beside Allah. Everything else that distracts us and that occupies us, that will eventually uh, be that will eventually disappear, and you'll be able to focus on Allah. And his bad characteristics, his ugly behavior. If we have ugly behavior, we shout, we scream, we get angry quickly, we have miserliness, all of this is ugly character. Inshallah, all of that will eventually change into praiseworthy character, where we become more generous, we become more calm, more forbearing, more patient, uh, more forgiving, more generous. Right? Right? من مكارم الأخلاق كما أشرت إلى ذلك بقولي لترتقي معالم الكمال. So he's saying that then Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will adorn you. He'll give you an award. The حق تبارك وتعالى will basically put onto you the mantle of good character on the Muhammadan character, the character of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. What is his character? Being forbearing, having the right kind of knowledge, having compassion having leniency and softness, having humility, having abstinence from the world, scrupulousness, avoiding that which is doubtful, uh, generosity, and all the other good akhlaq. Just as I mentioned, and he is talking about his poem, poem in which he says, الكمالي, so that you will ascend to the high levels of accomplishment which is basically the high levels of accomplishment from a dini perspective is basically having Muhammadan character. How to react in the best way in any given situation. 
having that control to react right. This is finally when this servant who, accomp uh, who accomplishes this will become the true representative of Allah on the earth, which is what we've been sent here for. That's when they will become the true vicegerent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the earth. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of this. He's saying that how do we know that the friv frivolities, the impudent, the impudence of the of the nafs, the uh, the bad character of the nafs has gone away. How do we know that? How do we know that the evils of the heart have gone away? So he's saying, And how do we know that we've finally been able to accomplish good behavior? He's saying, Praise and criticism becomes equal to you. You don't mind if somebody... Uh, you, you don't live on praise. You don't need likes and hits and whatever else there is online that tell you now that you're famous or something like that, right? And Or if somebody criticizes you, it doesn't make a difference. Meaning, if they criticize you for nothing. Right? If they criticize you for the right thing, it should affect us that we should do something about it. But this is obviously criticism that is just redundant, that is just there, just for the sake of criticism. Doesn't make a difference. May Allah make us like that. Again, whether somebody gives us something or prevents something from us, doesn't make a difference because we know that Allah is taking care of us. If it's not coming, it means Allah doesn't want us to have it. So you, everything is turned back to Allah and it just makes it easier. Stress-free life. People's attention towards him or away from him doesn't make a difference. Whether I have two people listening to me or a uh, hundred people doesn't make a difference. Or if everybody goes away, it doesn't make a difference. Of course, if, every, if everybody goes away because he's saying bad things or doing weird things, then that's obviously a, a different issue. Finally, he ends the book with a dua. So this is the last part of the book and I think it's very relevant to uh, our, our Ramadan anyway. He says, وَقُلْ بِذُلِّ رَبِّنْ Sorry. He says, وَقُلْ بِذُلِّ رَبِّ لَا تَقْتَعْنِي عَنْكَ بِقَاطِعٍ وَلَا تَحْرِمْنِي وَلَا تَحْرِمْنِي مِنْ سِرِّكَ الْأَبْهَى الْمُزِيلِ لِلْعَمَى وَخْتُمْ بِخَيْرٍ يَا رَحِيمَ الرُّحَمَى That's his poem. He's going to explain that. Basically what he's saying is that now you should say to Allah, you should supplicate to Allah with humility that, Oh my Lord, don't sever me with any hindrance, with any obstacle. Don't turn me away, don't block me and prevent me by a hindrance and don't deprive me from your lofty secret which removes all blindnesses and وَخْتُمْ بِخَيْرٍ which basically means allow this to be completed with beauty and with excellence O most merciful of the ones who show mercy so he's going to explain that. He says, وَقُلْ مُتَضَرِّعًا إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ قَوْلًا مُلْتَبِسًا بِذُلٍّ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَىٰ عِنْدَ الْمُنْكَسِرَةِ قُلُوبِهِمْ He says, when you make a dua to Allah, you should do it with humility and uh, this real cry in your heart. Right? With absolute humility, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with those whose hearts are broken. 
Basically, if we make ourselves vulnerable in front of Allah, He'll give us more. If we think we're very confident, we don't really need Him and we're asking Him, it's kind of counterproductive. When we want from Him, we need to show absolute need. Then he says, Ya Rabbi, la taqta'ani anka biqati'in min kulli fitnatin yashtaghilu al-qalbu biha anil ubudiyya. So you know the hindrances he's talking about, don't put an obstacle in front of me, right? The, hinder, the obstacles he's speaking about are basically the obstacles of fitna, which occupy the heart away. And the fitna could be something as simple as the first two days of Ramadan, basically just talking about who's right about the moon or not. Like just get on with it now. Right, it started, let's debate it after Ramadan. This is just shaitan's one idea to basically waste a few days of our Ramadan at least. The fitna is simple as that. Now, worse things are obviously there where we're still doing things which are haram. Right? Not even avoiding them in Ramadan. Um, so he says, anything that takes you away from devotion to Allah, which is hubbul mali wal waladi wal jahi wal shahawat, the love, excessive, excessive love of wealth, of children, of fame, of other desires innama amwa and then he brings a number of verses to show that this is it innama amwalukum wa auladukum fitna verily your wealth and your children are a source of um, temptation for you are a distraction in this case from you i mean y you have to look after your children you don't neglect your children but then at the same time you're not always just going out on holidays with them that you're you've missed your hajj for example or that you are always playing with them so then you miss your prayer for example you have to play with them you can't always be in ibadah either you have to be with them as well but it has to be the balance then he says so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again telling us about something else he says that people for people the love of desirous things and pleasures have been has been made a dawn for them i.e. women and children this is for men obviously then Allah subhanahu uh, he carries on. Then Allah says in another verse of Suratul Munafiqun, Ya Yuhaladina Amanu, La Tulhikum Amwalukum, Wala Auladukum and Dikrillah. O may Yaf al Dariga fa ulaikahumul Khasirun. O people who believe <coughs> your wealth or your children should not cause you distraction from the remembrance of Allah. Whoever does this, they will be of the losers. Other obstacles in the path of Allah are kibr, hikt, riya, ujb, which basically means pride and hatred, ostentation, uh, narcissism and self-love and self-conceit, loving yourself so much that you think you're better than everybody else. Now, now listen to this carefully. This is to fine-tune our worship. He says another thing which is an obstacle to attaining highness is worshipping Allah just to attain reward. For a lot of people when you hear that first you think what are you talking about? Are all these rewards which are promised for doing this or for giving this sadaqah, for, for doing that good worship, for doing that worship you get this many rewards and he's saying that that's an obstacle. The reason is he's saying, Oh Husuli Fathin Ladunniyin Liyakuna min awliya illah. Or another obstacle is that I want to do so much worship and you know such and such a person has told me that if you read this so many times and you start seeing things, right? Or you'll start getting good dreams, or Allah will reveal certain things to you. 
There are certain a'mal like that. Some experiences show that if you read certain surahs a certain number of times, you'll start seeing something. A friend of mine in the madrasa, he started to do this. He went into an empty room and he started reading something. And after an hour, he started seeing things. Right? I didn't really interrogate, but he got very scared. Right? Because it's not something you can, you can control. So you have to be very careful with the way... So, so basically, that should not be the purpose of your worship. So that he says, so that you can then become like an, uh, you can become an awliya Allah. Meaning, to be a wali of Allah is a good thing, but you don't want to be looking for these things to look like a wali of Allah. So, how should we worship Allah if you can't worship Allah for this? This is we thought. At least the first one is we thought how we should worship Allah. So he's saying that no, the way of the awliya is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lidhatihi, for Allah alone. I'm worshipping Allah for himself, that's it. I don't care about anything else, whether he gives me something or not. I'm worshipping you because I'm your servant. I have to worship you. Basically means that I'm just fulfilling your command. You told me to worship, I worship. You told me to avoid haram, I avoid haram. That's what I'm doing it for. Then after that, if you do get some kind of opening, dream, uh, unveiling, then that's a fadl of Allah. That's not what you are looking for. If Allah wants to give you that, that that's up to Him. And if you don't get anything, then that's His justice. He doesn't have to give it to you. He's not responsible to give it to you. Because no servant has any obligation upon Allah. Allah doesn't owe us anything. We owe Him everything. Whereas the right is of us, is upon us to Allah. We're supposed to be offering Allah. So, every slave of Allah is basically called to take into account is basically demanded that he purify himself from all the the dirt of the nafs and it is not a responsibility even if he does that it's not a responsibility of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to gift him these lordly unveilings and ma'arif it's not it's not necessary well, some of you are thinking, I've never even, I don't even ask for that kind of stuff. This is irrelevant to me. Right? Um, we may not ask for that, but we look for other things. Right? Th- these are obviously speaking to people who are on the path, so he expects that that's what, their fitna and temptation is going to become that. For many of us, the fitna is lower degree than that. Right? He says that whoever does worship Allah for these other reasons, then according to the awliya, according to the ahlullah, these, cons- these, are people con- these people are considered to be bad slaves. Right? People who, if they're not given a payment, if they're not given a gift, then they don't do. They don't, they don't do if they're not given something. They don't do it for the sake of Allah. They only do it if they get payment. This is obviously contrary to him being a pure slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He quotes Ibn Ata'illah who I discussed earlier, Rahimahullah. 
بطن فيك من العيوب خير من تشوفك إلى ما حجب عنك من الغيوب. For you to be focused and looking into that which is hidden of your defects. For you to be always focused and reflective over what defects are inside me. What are my inside problems? That is superior to you than your always looking out for the, those unseen things which have been veiled from you. When am I going to get a karama? When am I going to get a miracle? Stop looking for that. Look for your defects. And that is what's most important. لا يقال إذا كانت العبادة من أجل الفتح من القوات فكيف يصح أن تأمره بطلبه بقوله وقل بذل رب لا تقطعني عنك بقاتئي. He says basically, in answer to that, he says that when Allah subhanahu wa taala is telling you to ask for an opening, didn't He just say you shouldn't be asking for those kind of things? So why is He then telling you to ask for an opening to remove these obstacles from you? So then that's obviously a straightforward answer to that is that it's for the reason of removing obstacles from our path. But basically what he says is that asking for an opening from the outpouring of the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not for any other reason, but with istiqama, that is something which you should be doing. When you're steadfast and you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remove these hindrances from you, then that's a good thing. You're allowed to ask him. It's just like asking him for expansion in your provision, more money, more sustenance, more provision. That's completely fine. Or having health of your body, there's nothing wrong in asking him for that. Likewise, shifa and a cure from all of your physical ailments. ألا ترى أنه أوجب عليك الطلب الهداية من كل يوم وليلة سبعة عشر سبعة عشرة مرة في قوله تعالى اهدنا الصراط المستقيم. Don't you see that he has actually obligated you to ask him for guidance every day, seventeen times. When do we ask for Allah for guidance seventeen times every day? اهدنا الصراط المستقيم. Guide us to the straight path. Don't we read that in every prayer? So if you do 17 rakats, how did you get to 17? How many fard are there? 17? That's the minimum. Because you obviously do sunnas and stuff as well, right? So that's what he says that Allah is telling you to do, ask Him for guidance 17 times a day. He's not asking you, He's obligating you. 17 times a day, do ask Him for guidance. And in all the other sunnah nafil prayers, that's beyond limit how many times he's, taught, he's recommended for you to, uh, to ask him for guidance. And of course, this, this worship you're doing is not to gain anything except guidance. Right? And then he says, يَا رَبِّ لَا تَحْرِمْنِي بِفَتِتَا مِنْ حَرُمَا أَوْ بِضَمِّهَا مِنْ أَحْرَمَا بِمَعْنَا مَنَعَا إِلَى تَمْنَعْنِي مِنْ إِعْطَاءِ السِّرِّكَ الْمُرَادْ بِهَا النُورِ الْإِلَهِ الَّذِي يُفَرِّكْ بِهِ الْعَبْدِ بَيْنَ الْحَقِّ وَالْبَاطِلِ فِي نَفْسِ الْأَمْرِ الْمُشَارِ إِلَيْهِ بِقَوْلِهِ تَعَالَى يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِن تَتَّقُوا اللَّهَ يَجْعَل لَكُمْ فُرْقَانًا الْأَنْفَالِ So then he says that uh, make this dua to Allah that do not deprive me from your secrets your highest secrets. What does he mean by the secret? The secret, secret is Allah's light, An-Nur al-Ilahi, by which if we have that light, we'll be able to differentiate between good and bad, 
between right and wrong. Alhamdulillah, just by the mere fact that we have Iman, then we have some ilm, we gain this light. So anybody who's had Iman, who embraces the faith, they first get the light. Then they need knowledge. The more knowledge you gain, the more you learn, the more the light is will tell us what's right and what's wrong. What's good for me, what's bad for me. What's healthy for me and what's unhealthy for me. That is basically what he's saying. Give me a full share of that. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O oh people who believe, if you tattaqullah, if you fear Allah, yaj'allakum furqanan. He will then create a criterion for you. He will make a criterion. He will give you an understanding of what's right and what's wrong. That's if you do taqwa. The more taqwa you have, that's why, you know, one of the biggest issues we're having with liberalism today and with liberal Muslims as such, I mean, if you want to use that term or progressives or how, whatever it is, those who argue that why is, the, you know, this is no longer relevant, right? We don't really need to be doing this anymore. We should change the fatwa on this. We should change the ruling on this. This is irrelevant now. Because when you have no taqwa, these things don't matter anymore. The good and bad all looks the same. It doesn't make a difference. What's wrong with it? But the more you become discerning, the more, the more you become God-conscious, the more you become discerning, the more refined we become. Refinement doesn't mean fundamentalism. You have to be careful because there's always an extreme. Right? So we're talking about balanced refinement is what we're speaking about, which we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for. So he's saying that, Oh Allah, don't deprive me of the highest light. And the highest light, he says, is ilmul yaqeen. Um, which is basically, what is ilmul yaqeen? Ilmul yaqeen means the knowledge of conviction. Right? Kind of big words, but what that means is, when you understand something by its evidence, when you have evidence for it, you don't just follow something or do something just because you heard it like that and you don't really know where it comes from. You actually have full evidence for it. That is what you call ilmul yaqeen, the knowledge. That you know the evidence of something is knowledge. Right? You've got the evidence that Makkah exists, but you've never been there yet. Then, وَأَنْوَرْ مِنْهُ حَقُّ الْيَقِينَ What is more illuminated than that is what they call حَقُّ الْيَقِينَ So there's three concepts here. ilmul yaqeen and then حَقُّ الْيَقِينَ Which means the reality of conviction. وَهُوَ مَعْرِفَتُهَا بِالْمُشَاهَدَ مِنْ غَيْرِ مُخَالَطَةٍ وَمُمَازَجَةٍ Basically means that now you've been to Makkah. Right? So you've actually seen it now. You've, you've seen it now. You know when you've seen Makkah, isn't that going to increase the reality of what you, when, uh, compared to when you just knew about it? Right? I mean, I'm saying Makkah or Medina Munawwara because that really makes a massive impression on somebody when they go there. Because generally Makkah, you've seen pictures of it, right? You've seen Kaaba, you've seen pictures of it. And then when you actually see Kaaba for the first time, it's a massive experience. You can just suddenly see yourself moving from Ilmul Yaqeen to Hakkul Yaqeen. Right? You actually see now, you can experience it. I've seen it in the pictures so many times. But now I'm there. Look, it's amazing. And it's actually, I mean, it's, um, it's amazing. That's why we're told to, du'a, to do dua the first time we do. And I think one of the re- secrets of doing dua the first time you see the Kaaba is because there's an emotion involved in there. You are in a different state because it is awesome. So you're going to basically now pour your heart out in dua and inshallah your duas are going to be accepted because you're connected at this time. When you see the Kaaba, you get connected. Subhanallah. Didn't you feel connected when you went? 
Then he says, but وَأَنْوَرُ مِنْهُ عَيْنُ الْيَقِينَ The example he's giving is this. He's saying that, you know, you've never seen fire, but you've seen smoke. No, you've, you've seen fire, but you haven't seen the fire. There's a, there's a smoke somewhere, but you haven't seen the fire. Nowadays, I mean, they can create smoke from other things, chemicals you can create smoke from, right, as a prop. You don't really need a fire. So, you see smoke, and you think it's a fire. What is your evidence that there's a fire? What is your evidence that there's a fire there? The smoke. The smoke. So, but, but that could be wrong, right? So that is what you call ilmul yaqeen. Generally speaking, you're going to have fire when you have smoke. Then, what happens is you see the, the fire itself from a distance. So now you've got haqqul yaqeen. Sorry, Ainul Yaqeen, Ainul Yaqeen. And then when you actually go close and you can now feel the flame and everything, now you've got a proper experience of it. Right? That's Haqqul Yaqeen. So those are the three levels, and that same kind of thing we need to acquire for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because he says, Al Muzilu Lil because this is what's going to remove your ignorance and remove your confusion and remove your distraction. He's basically saying basically that du'as have a huge benefit. He's basically saying that he's ending with a du'a, right? And he's saying that the benefit of this is that du'as are accepted. So du'a in itself, he's saying, is, an, is the kernel of worship. Why is du'a the kernel of worship? I could, as I, I've mentioned this before, I could never understand why du'a was worship, right? How is du'a worship when in du'a you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for something for yourself? It looks like a very selfish supplication that give me this. So, uh, and a worship is something you offer to Allah. So he's saying the reason why du'a is actually worship is because when you make du'a sincerely and properly, you're actually expressing your need and your absolute need to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that means that you've recognized Allah as the one who's the fulfiller of needs and who has no, other, who has no needs of his own. So you've just now established the name of Allah as Ghani and Qadir. So you've just affirmed that Allah is Qadir, Muqtadir, generous. And you've just suddenly established all these names for Allah, these 99 names. You've just done that. Because when you're asking Allah, give me from your generosity, and so you've said, oh, so he's going to give me. Oh Allah, forgive me. You've just suddenly said he's Ghafoor and he's Rahim and he's Ghaffar, right? That's what you're doing basically. Even if you don't get a response, you're still asking him that, look, I know it's up to you, but give it to me. He then basically just reminds us that when you don't get a response from Allah, it's either because there's a condition missing of dua. People forget that. They think I'm making dua, but I don't get answered. Well, maybe you're... You have conditions for everything. You haven't ticked the, all the boxes. Right? Or the other reason why you might not get it is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that to not answer your prayer and not give you that is better for you right now. Or for some other reason. He looks after the whole world. He, he has to make sure that it all fits in. He is making sure it all fits in. He does that effortlessly anyway. So then he says, وَقُلْ يَا رَبِّ Oh Allah, end our life, our deeds, our states with goodness, with a good stealing state, such that when, we, when you do take us to you, when you take us from this world, it's in the most complete state of Tawheed. That's why, oh Allah, make our final actions the best actions, and our final days the best of days, 
and make this Ramadan of ours better than any before it. So that much, we're that much closer to Allah, inshaAllah. He says, Ala shawkin ilayk. And my state at my death should be that I'm desiring to meet you. Not that I'm feeling, di- I'm feeling upset of leaving the world. Take our souls by your hand. And turn our evil deeds into good deeds. And assist us when we could be slipping in the hereafter, especially over the bridge and so on. Now is, this is a place to confess why. Is because we're declaring that, oh, our Lord, we believe in what you have revealed. We believed in what you revealed. And we followed the messenger. So now write us among those who have given witness to this. Ya Rahim, Ya Arham al Ruhama, Ya Rahim al Ruhama, O most merciful of the merciful ones. And this you get from the hadith Ar Rahimuna, Yarhamuhum al Rahman, Irhamu manfil al Yarhamkum manfil sama. So that's how he ends the book by this dua that oh Allah end everything good for us even my book end it well for me my life end it well for me my actions end well for me and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to end our Ramadan and then our life in the same way may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless this author and bless all of those that he took from and he benefited from because we have benefited immensely from this book so may Allah shower his grave with great light and make it a garden of paradise and his name is basically a Shaykh Ahmed Ibn Muhammad Al-Adawi more well known as Imam Al-Dardir who died in 1201 Hijri and he was an Egyptian may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless him and uh, may Allah allow us to uh, imbibe whatever he's told us and may it facilitate for us may it open up our eyes and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept this from us as well وآخر الدعوان أن الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم أنت السلام ومنك السلام تباركت يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث اللهم يا حنان يا منان لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا من الظالمين جزا الله عنا محمد ما هو أهله يا أرحم الراحمين يا أكرم الأكرمين يا معدن الجود والكرم يا ذا الجلال والإكرام We ask you for your grace Oh Allah, we ask you for your special blessings during this month Oh Allah, we ask for your special attention during this month Oh Allah, we ask for your mercy Oh Allah, we ask for your forgiveness Oh Allah, forgive us all of our sins Oh Allah, forgive us all of our wrongdoings Oh Allah, forgive us all of our excesses O oh Allah, forgive us all the fulfillments of our haram desires. O oh Allah, we ask that you purify us, that you cleanse us. O oh Allah, you make this Ramadan a source of purification for us. O oh Allah, there are many people who are moved in this month to give so much generosity. O oh Allah, there is so much generosity that is displayed during this month. You cause so much generosity and open-heartedness to descend during this month. People give so much sadaqat and charity. They do so much feeding during this, mo- during this month. Oh Allah, your messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam was known to be the most generous during the month of Ramadan when he would be reading 
his Quran when he would be reading the Quran with Jibreel alayhi salam. If this is the level of the generosity here, then what must be your generous generosity? Oh Allah, you have been so generous by removing the shayateen, by closing the doors of hellfire, by opening the doors of paradise, by causing so much mercy to descend. Oh Allah, then if one of us is then deprived of this mercy, then what a great deprivation that will be. Oh Allah, we ask that you, you do not make any of us from the deprived ones. You give us a full share of the blessing. Oh Allah, we know our actions and our deeds don't amount to much. They are weak and they have shortcomings. But oh Allah, we are your servants and we have nobody else to ask. We have nobody else to show our devotion to. Oh Allah, even the worst of us when they make a sajda, they prostrate to you and they consider you to be the Rabb, the, 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 the highest Lord. Oh Allah, you told Musa and Harun salam to deal gently with the Pharaoh even though he used to call himself the Lord. Oh Allah, we consider you our Lord. Oh Allah, accept from us. Oh Allah, bless us. Oh Allah, shower us your attention. Oh Allah, protect us. Oh Allah, grant protection to us and our families and our progeny until the day of judgment. Oh Allah, there are many challenges and distractions out there. There are many things that take us away. There are many things which make us break our repentance. We make tawbah in the morning, but by the evening it has been broken. And we make tawbah in the evening, and by the morning we have broken it. Oh Allah, keep us steadfast. Oh Allah, grant us steadfastness. Oh Allah, illuminate our hearts with your Qur'an. Oh Allah, teach us of it and make it a source of greatness for us. Make it a source of the removal of our cares of our heart. Make it a source of brightness of our eyes. Make it the guide of our, uh, the, the guide of our lives. Oh Allah, make it the criterion for the truth for us. Oh Allah, grant us discernment. Grant us closeness to you. Oh Allah, grant us your love. Oh Allah, grant us the love of your obedience. Grant us dislike for your disobedience. Oh Allah, make your obedience beloved to our heart. O oh Allah, we ask that you send your abundant blessings on our Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and that you grant us his company in the hereafter. O oh Allah, make this Ramadan better than any Ramadan before it. O oh Allah, bless us in our families. O oh Allah, grant us satisfaction with the halal that you have given us and keep us away from the haram. O oh Allah, do not allow us to look even towards the haram. Satisfy us with the halal. O oh Allah, that which you have given us, O oh Allah, allow us to show thanks to you for it. O oh Allah, do not allow us to use the very bounties that you have given us. Do not allow us to use them for your, for your disobedience. O oh Allah, make this Ramadan better than any before it and allow us to bask in the blessings of this Ramadan even after Ramadan. Keep whatever we do during this Ramadan, O oh Allah, allow us to continue it even after Ramadan. Oh Allah, do not allow any of us to turn away from here without being forgiven. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Birahmatika ya rahman rahman.